This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And we may actually cover the whole chapter because one, it's not especially long and over, the, over one half of it, the front half of the chapter is further exhortation on the value and the benefits of wisdom, of which we've already had a lot of in the first two chapters, some in the third chapter, and so we'll read through it. It reinforces some things that we've already covered. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine. Forsake not my law, for I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Well, there's something to be said here. This is, again, Solomon writing. And remember who Solomon's father was. Solomon's father was King David. The first, uh, let's just say the first good, consistently, mostly good king of Israel. Since Saul's reign turned out to be a train wreck through his the abuse of his own free will and, and some bad, very bad decisions that he made and, and very bad uh, spirit that he opened himself up to and so on. This was Solomon, the son of David. David taught Solomon wisdom and gave him good counsel. And then Solomon was further, no doubt, fell in love with wisdom under the instruction of his father. And then when he ascended the throne, when Solomon ascended the throne and prayed for wisdom, then of course God just opened up the windows of heaven on him as, as far as wisdom was concerned. And so here we have it. But he's, he's acknowledging, I was my father's son and I was beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. And he goes on further in verse 5. He says, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. With all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor and when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Let's stop right there. What, what are all these? Well, it's again, it's more, it's more of what he's already said. Value wisdom, love her, embrace her. She will preserve you. She will keep you. She will promote you. She will bring you honor and a crown of glory. Are we starting to get the picture how valuable wisdom is? And, and, and I didn't want to just blast through this super fast, even though it seems like it might be a bit redundant uh, in, in light of the content of chapter 1, chapter 2, and some of chapter 3. Again, he reinforces it for a reason. 
And we need constant reinforcement of the value of such things. We need constant reinforcement of the value of the Word of God and of the value of wisdom where God is concerned and letting God instruct us and guide our paths and letting wisdom instruct us and guide our paths. He goes on here in verse 10. He says, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings. And the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. And when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. What's that mean? Straightened. Well, look at the spelling of that. That doesn't mean that your, your, your ways having been crooked will not be made straight. That's not the meaning of that word. The spelling here, it doesn't have that G-H in it. It's straighten, spelled S-T-R-A-I-T-E-N. Straighten, and that spelling means to make something more narrow than it is. You've heard of uh, uh, bodies of water that are called straits. It's a narrow passage of water and it's usually pretty hazardous because a lot of times um, straight, narrow passages of water go very fast and it can smash you on rocks, it can mess you up. What he's saying here in verse 12 is, when thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened, meaning they're not going to be more narrow and more difficult than they already are. This is when you follow after wisdom and pursue it with a whole heart, when you value wisdom and you want wisdom and you, you're doing all the things that he's admonished us to do in the first several verses of this chapter. She will, speaking of wisdom, she will preserve you, she will keep you, she will promote you, she will bring you honor, she will bring you a crown of glory, she will make your path easier and safer. And, he says it right here in verse 12, thou shalt not stumble. When thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. This is what wisdom does for people. This is especially what wisdom does for believers. When you value her, when you love her, when you embrace her, I'm just using the language that he used here in, 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 uh, in chapter 4 in, these, in the preceding verses. When you value her, when you love her, when you embrace her, when you exalt her, she will do these things for you. And we're not trying to personify her any more than the Scriptures themselves personify her. Obviously, we know that wisdom's not a person. Okay? But wisdom is a thing. It is very real. And wisdom was with God at the very beginning when He engineered and architected the entire universe and the life that is within it. Wisdom was with God. And so wisdom being valuable to God must be valuable to us. It must be valuable to us. Verse 13, he says, Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Take fast hold of instruction. Take fast hold of instruction. That used to be something we really valued in this country. It used to be something we very much valued in this country. And sometimes we still do, but it's very, very selective nowadays. But he says to take fast hold of it. The moment that we receive instruction from the Word or we receive instruction from the Lord, that's exactly how we ought to react. You ought to grab it fast, take fast hold of it. And not just in terms of speed, but in terms of, well, that word fast means, you know, as in fasten, like screws to a wall or to a board. Take fast hold of it and let her not go. Keep her, 
for she is thy life. And let me tell you something about instruction. There's another word for it. It's called education, right? Education is very expensive. I'm not talking about money. Although it can be very expensive in terms of money. Lots of things are expensive in terms of money. But education, if you pursue education in an institution for that, like a college or a university, a seminary, something like that, well, it costs money. It can be, it can be expensive. But there's another kind of education that's very expensive, and that is learning things the hard way, right? That is a very expensive education. Because it costs you, it can cost you in money, it can cost you in heartache, it can cost you in difficulty, it can cost you in repetition of work to straighten something out. I had a nickname back when I was an electrician. Again, I don't mind putting myself out there just by way of an example. It wasn't a good nickname. It wasn't a complimentary nickname. They called me Retro. Now, Reverend Ryder ought to be getting a good laugh out of that. Having been in the same trade, he understands what that means. So why'd they call you that? Because I made a lot of mistakes and I had to tear out the work and do it over again. That's why. And that's why I don't say it to my, I certainly don't say it to my credit, okay? Probably to my shame if, if I really cared. It's been so many years now. But you wire up something wrong, well, you have to fix it. You don't let something like that stay. You burn a house down, you know, potentially if it goes wrong. So it can be expensive. It can cost you in materials. It will always cost you in time. So well, how does this relate to us as Christians? Well, have you ever made a really bad decision in life? And then it blew up in your face and it blew up bad. And then you had to sit in the rubble of it and figure out how, are you, how you were going to set everything right. Or even if everything could be set right. Sometimes it can't be. And you just have to walk away from it because it's irredeemable. The mistake, whatever that might be. And I'll let your own minds and experiences fill in the blanks with what, what that might apply to. That's a very expensive education. But if we love divine wisdom and instruction from God and His Word, it can save you a lot of that bad experience and very expensive education of doing something wrong or doing a wrong thing and then having it blow up in your face. And one of the, one of the biggest examples of this is when a Christian marries a non-Christian, you are going to get an education on why you should not have done that. And that's why the Word tells us not to be, it's why the Lord tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And whether that's in marriage, whether that's, a, that's, whether that's in a business enterprise or something like that, not to be unequally yoked, bound up together in any kind of a contract because that thing can blow up and it can go down in flames and it'll cost that believer and sometimes it costs that believer absolutely everything and sometimes they choose never to recover from that. Value wisdom. Embrace wisdom. Love wisdom. He doesn't just say to embrace it. He says to love wisdom. And he says later on, in fact, I'm going to jump ahead just very briefly because there's, there's some language that he uses over in verse 6. Verse, or excuse me, in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 4, he says, Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. And he goes on to, to give a practical example of what that's for, and we'll get more to that later on. I don't want to get lost in that right now, just yet. But he says to value her so much that you call her family. Wisdom, 
needs to be your sister. Wisdom needs to be your kinswoman. Value her. Love her. Verse 14. He moves out of this general exhortation again and reinforcing the value and the benefits of wisdom. And he moves into more hard, practical wisdom beginning in verse 14. He says, Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away. For they sleep not except they have done mischief and their sleep is taken away except they cause some to fall. Let's stop right there. He says, enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Now that seems pretty entry level, right? Especially to people who are born again believers. Well, of course I'm not going to go that way. Preacher, you really didn't need to, to eat up my time sharing that with me. That's a no-brainer. If we're Christians, of course we don't want to go. We're not going to go in the path of the wicked or in the way of evil men. But sometimes people do. That's just it. Why did he share this? Because both God and and Solomon knew the proclivity of the flesh to yield to temptation. Because he doesn't just say, don't go in the path of the wicked. Enter not into the path of the wicked. He says, go not in the way of evil men. He says in verse 15, avoid it, pass not by it, turn away, turn from it, and pass away. What's he saying there? Don't even get close to it. He's not just telling us, don't go into the way of, of evil men, which is to say to do the things that evil men do. He says, don't even get close to it. That's that line we like to talk about so often. The line between right and wrong that, that many believers want to know. All right, well, give me, the, give, me, give me the clear line between right and wrong. Like, Okay, well, sometimes you need a clear line between right and wrong. But again, when we orient our hearts rightly towards God, when we orient our spirit and our heart and our mind rightly towards God, it's like having an eye single toward God, to use Jesus' language, our Lord's language over in Matthew chapter 6. When, when, your eye, when your eye is single, he said that the light of the body is the eye, and if thine eye be single, then thy whole body will be full of light. When we have a mind and a, a spirit and everything is oriented with an eye single toward God, then the line between right and wrong is far behind us because we are well into the zone of safety, aren't we? And we're not concerned with trying to, with trying to figure out, well, uh, is this something that's okay for me or is this something that I should eschew? Because we're far enough away from that line on the side of the Lord that we don't even have to worry about it. We don't even have to worry about it. Brother, that's the safest place to be in your Christian life. That is the safest place to be in your Christian walk. Well on the right side of that line. Because a lot of times, where you think there's a line, there isn't. There's a broad zone that, that, that is measured by degrees. And so you don't always have a clear line between something that is right and something that is wrong. And so, well, what do you do in that sort of a scenario? You make sure you're walking close to God because He will guide your steps because that's the problem with lines, okay? That's the problem with clear, neatly drawn lines between right and wrong. 
is because when we have all of those lines or we think we have all of those lines, then we begin to be led by our own understanding of the lines. And then we're already, we're already shooting wide of the mark of what he told us earlier here in chapter 3, where he says to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Theologians fall into this trap all of the time. I'm not saying that all of them do, but I'm saying that they are maybe a bit more susceptible to it because they become so confident in their own learning and their own knowledge and their own understanding. They start leaning on that. They stop leaning on the Spirit. They start being led by their own understanding. They stop being led by the Spirit. Let the Spirit inform your understanding. Let the Spirit inform your understanding. Let's move on. So he says to enter not into the path of the wicked, go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away. For they sleep not except they have done mischief and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. What's he talking about here? Well, the wicked that he speaks of here aren't, this isn't just reserved for the worst of humanity's worst. Because again, those words wicked and evil, we love to reserve those words for people that are worse than we are, right? Worse than us. Oh, well, I may be a bad person, but it's not like I'm evil or anything. It's not like I'm Hitler. Hitler's always the go-to example for, uh, for the example of evil and wickedness, even though Stalin was far worse. You know, they were both absolute monsters, but Stalin kind of gets an easy pass in the minds of a lot of people. It's all about Hitler. That's not the only one that's wicked. That's not the only one that's evil. That's not the only one at all. When he refers to the wicked, he's talking about everyone from the worst of humanity's worst all the way down to the most boring and banal of transgressors. It's not just the guy who kills people. It's the guy who steals pens from, from the office supply. You know what I'm talking about? That guy. He's never paid for a post-it note in his life. He just swipes it from his job. That's just as wicked. That's just as wicked. And so he warns us against even going in that way. Uh, well, I, I, it's just a small thing. Well, it might be a small thing, but it's still theft. It might be a small thing, but it's still wickedness. And so he tells us not to go that way. Not to go that way. And he mentions further, he says that these people like this, they live off of wickedness. They live off of wickedness and are unfulfilled as persons unless they've done more of it. Let's read what he says here. He says, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence, but the path of the just is as the shining light. Now, let's actually back up a couple of verses. Excuse me. He says to avoid it. He says, for they sleep not. Verse 16. They don't even sleep except they have done mischief and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. That's pretty perverse, don't you think? That's pretty perverse. People that are so inclined unto evil living that they don't even feel fulfilled as people unless they do harm to others or they cause others to fall. And Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 1 when he talks about all of this was speaking of the apostasy of the human race as it descended into complete apostasy right before the flood of Noah. Paul speaks of it when he says, who knowing the judgment of God 
that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. These are the wicked. And these are the paths of the people that he warns us to steer away from. And now, again, it might seem, well, this is no-brainer stuff. But he steers us even from, he admonishes us even from approaching their path. And the reason is because he still knows that a righteous man still lives in a body of flesh. And a body of flesh is still susceptible to temptation. Especially if we have allowed ourselves to drift and get distant from the Lord. There is a constant renewing of our minds that we need to experience on a regular basis as believers. Because the spirit and the soul, hey, they get saved and, and, and they're made new in Christ, right? The inner man, the whole inner man, the spirit and soul. But the flesh, this thing is still the same flesh we were born in. The same stubborn dog that'll chase every rabbit if we let it. So he admonishes us. He instructs us here. You could almost phrase it like this. Help God keep you. Help God keep you out of the path of temptation. Help God, help God help you. That's one way of saying it. And, and I don't, that's, that may not be a perfect way of expressing it, but there are people that grieve the Spirit in their life because they continue to walk in areas of temptation where they are still weak and have not yet gotten strong. They don't let themselves get strong in those areas by building up and gathering their strength, so to speak. They continue to go to places where they continue to be tempted, and so they continue to give in, and they continue to let themselves be led astray. Christian, help God help you. Give God something to work with. In your prayers, recognize and say, Father, I'm weak in this area. This is something, this is my kryptonite. And I don't want to go in that way anymore. So help me shore up my life. And help me rebuild my walls and build up my defenses and all of that uh, to protect me even from the temptation of that thing. Because even though temptation is not a sin, well, certainly to be tempted reveals something about yourself to yourself. You know what I mean? It reveals something to you. It's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to give into it. But when we are tempted, then that ought to open our eyes and show us, I've got a weak spot. And the devil is trying to exploit it. Okay, so let's stay away from the path of the wicked. Whatever path that may be. Whatever weakness that may be. Let's just stay away from it. Verses 18 and 19 where he says, but the path of the just, because this is in contrast to the path of the wicked. The path of the wicked that's all about not just living in wickedness, but dragging other people into wickedness also. The kingdom of the devil is very evangelical. And they want other people to be wicked also. Okay, But the path of the just, he says in verse 18, is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. So he tells us that the path of the just, the path of the righteous man, the path of the godly man, this is as a shining light. Have you ever watched the life of a, 
of a genuinely godly person. Have you ever watched the way that they live? Have you ever observed the way they communicate, the way they act, the way they don't act? The things, not only the things that they do, but the things that they do, do. Have you observed that? It's a shining light unto those that are in darkness because it shows them a practical example of what a godly life is actually like. And that's why it, one reason why it is so critically important as believers, as Christians, to live right. And when you have your heart oriented towards God, it's not hard. It's not hard. It might be a little hard for the flesh, but the flesh learns. The flesh learns, and it learns that there's some things that it can get away with, and there's a lot of things that it can't any longer in the life of the believer. It learns, just like a dog or an obstinate child. They learn, okay? The flesh will learn. If we walk in righteousness, which means if we live righteously, if we live godly, it's hard to teach about this without, without it sounding like um, we're promoting works as some, as some mode of salvation, but that's not at all what this is about. This is for the believer. This is for the man and the woman who is already saved, who is already born again, okay? Our salvation, we explained this in the earlier Bible study today, our salvation is not by our works. It's not by wisdom. It's not by any of the things that we can do ourselves or earn for ourselves. This teaching, the instruction and wisdom and all of this, this is for we that have been born again already by the Spirit of God. Now that we are His, then let's value His divine wisdom and let's apply it. Because here, He says that the path of the just is as the shining light. When you live uprightly before God, whether you realize it or not, you're shining light into somebody else's life that's steeped in darkness. Because they don't know the right way. They don't, they know some of it maybe either by something they were taught when they were younger or maybe some of it by instinct or by conscience. They might know some of it, but they don't know the right way to live. And so when they see you living right and they see your wise decisions being in love with wisdom as we ought to be, loving God and loving His wisdom, okay, not as making wisdom an idol, but worshiping God, loving His resources that He gives to us. They see you living wise. You're the one they're going to come to for advice. You're the one that they're going to come to for advice. You're the one they're going to walk up to and say, hey, in fact, I think it just happened in someone's life recently. I don't want to try to get too specific. There's a brother in our church, a woman recently who knows him, came up to him and said words to this effect. I want what you have. I'm finished with this. Talking about the old life that she was living and the situation that she's in. And it's a very serious situation. We're praying for her right now. Uh, it's very serious. Her whole living arrangement, everything about what she's facing right now is, is very grave and her situation is very tenuous. But she's reached that place where she's actually confessed with her mouth. She is not where and or what she needs to be. And she approached that brother. Why? Because the brother lives the life. And we're not exalting the brother. We're exalting the God of the brother. When you live right, when you live godly, when you live justly, you're verse 18. Your path is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. And then he says in the final verse of this paragraph, he says, the way of the wicked is as darkness. 
They know not at what they stumble. And you've met people like this. You've known people like this. And in times past, you may have been this person. Your life, a shambles of confusion and filled with the consequences of bad decisions. And you didn't know what to do. And you didn't know why things were wrong. You didn't know why you were unhappy. That's the state that many of the wicked are in. They don't know why they're miserable. Live upright. Live just. Honor God. Obey Him. Serve Him. And those that are lost in darkness, many of them will see. Now they may not act on it, but some of them will. And they'll come to you. They'll ask you why your marriage is successful while theirs is failing. They'll ask you why you have more than five bucks in your pocket on any given day of the week. You know, because you're not out drinking at all. Okay? They'll ask you these different things. Why this? Why are you so happy? Why are you at peace? Why does nothing seem to bother you? Or, or there you have it. Let's move on. We're almost done. We're almost out of time. Verse 20, my son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet. In other words, consider your ways. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not thou, turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. What's the key verse in this paragraph? In this teaching is the very first one. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So in verse 14, back in verse 14, he tells us not to go into the path of the wicked and go not into the way of evil men. He tells us to avoid it, to pass, by, pass not by it, but to turn from it and to pass away. And now he brings it even closer to the bone here in verse, in verse 23 where he says, don't, you know, not, don't just avoid their path and their ways, but keep your very heart the very core of you and of who you are. Keep it with all diligence. So why? Well, he answers it in the second half of that verse. For out of it, out of your heart, are the issues of life. I want you to picture something in your mind as we, as we teach this last part of tonight's Bible study, okay? Picture this in your mind. Picture your heart, however you want to picture it, you know, the, the little thing that we, the little shape that we usually identify as a heart or whatever. Picture it as your mind, whatever. Picture your innermost person. Picture guard towers around it. Barbed wire, machine gun nests, a moat with alligators in it. Okay? And you could take it further than that, you know, traffic barricades, you know, and those and those funny metal things that they used to they used to put out on the beaches during World War II to uh, to to interfere with invasions and all of that. Picture your heart with all of these things around it in a high stone wall. That's what your heart needs to be. Now, not where God is concerned. Don't guard your heart against God. And don't guard your heart against, you know, 
other people loving you or you loving other people. Okay, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about isolating yourself emotionally. That is not what he's telling us to do. He's telling us to guard and protect what we allow in there because if you let the wrong thing in there, then your defenses are down. How do we put this? You fall in love with the wrong thing and it'll lead you right out of the will of God. You have to protect your heart. You have to guard your heart because out of it are the very issues of your life. Have you ever seen somebody that's gotten obsessed with, uh, that's gotten absolutely obsessed with something? I mean, anything at all. A lot of times it's a person. It might be a particular goal or something that they're pursuing in life. And you, as a believer looking on new, if they go after that, that's going to be the end of their walk with God. It'll be their undoing. And maybe you even tried to advise or warn or caution them against that. But they had their heart set on pursuing the wrong thing or pursuing a bad relationship or pursuing some goal that was going to be detrimental to their life, whatever it was. And so, well, why did they insist on pursuing it? Because they did not guard their heart. They let the love for that thing into their heart and that influenced what they wanted in life. That influenced the way that they thought. That influenced the way that they spoke because it's out of the, out of the abundance of the heart, our Lord says, that the mouth speaks. And he even ties that in here into verse 25. He says, or in verse 24, excuse me, he says, put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. What you allow into your heart is going to affect everything about your life. It'll affect the way you talk. It'll affect the way that you think. And if something affects those things, it's going to affect the way that you live. So brothers, sisters, as we prepare to bring this Bible study to a close tonight, Proverbs 23, 7 ties right to it. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, it's not quite the phrasing. It says, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And you can substitute the language in there. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And that's a fact. What you allow into your heart influences and threatens to influence either for good or evil every single aspect of your life. So brothers, sisters, guard your heart. Be careful what you love. Be careful who you love or how you love them. Okay, that's probably a better way to say it. Be careful what you let into your heart because out of your heart comes everything. The issues of your life, the speech of your mouth, the priorities of your thinking, it all comes from the heart. Guard it. Protect it. It's your life. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving.